Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We We out. Well, if you missed the first part, this is the second part of Why Employer Brands Fail. That is part two of this three-part series. Uh, I want to kind of close out the month on a big strong note. I want to make sure everybody, I think this is useful stuff to me. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the only person who cares about this. But here are the, there are six reasons I find that most companies' employer brand projects or initiatives fail. And I'm going to break them down so that you can avoid the same pitfalls or you can at least plan ahead a little bit to make sure that you don't trip on the same stuff. So today we're going to cover two of the next two. They're not in any particular order, uh, but I tried to cl- you know clump them together so they made some sort of cohesive sense as much as I make any kind of cohesive of sense. So here we are, uh, part two of Why Employer Brands Fail. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing, James Ellis? Uh, yeah, so housekeeping as always. Uh, the newsletter is going strong. Um, they're, just go ahead and go to employerbrand.news. It's a weekly Monday morning email about this is what the headlines in the industry are, a little annotation, a little reason why they might be important or maybe why I disagree. But like I said, it's a, it's a way to stay sharp. It's a way to kind of very quickly see and understand what's going on so that you don't have to spend all your time on LinkedIn and reading articles much like I do. Other note, uh, if you'd like to talk to me for 15 minutes about anything employer brand, or anything at all, if that's really what you think is a useful use of your time, just uh, ping me or find one of the links in which I offer open office hours. You get 15 minutes to ask me any kinds of questions. I'm looking to help as many people as I can and kind of, you know, just kind of connect with more people. So that's what I'm doing. So if you're interested, just email me, Twitter me. LinkedIn me, all those things. Yeah, so there you go. So enough with the housekeeping. We are number three in our series of six of why employer brands fail. The third one is your employer brand is more focused on reflecting politics instead of reality. Now, this is dicey (laughs) because when we say politics, what we really mean are people who can fire you. And so it's you know, and I've heard all sorts of different ways to describe it. Sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's the hippo, i.e., the highest paid person's opinion. Um, you've all been in those meetings where ten people or five people are in a room trying to discuss something, and when the senior vice president of whatever the hell, because they're paid the most, because they say I like blue, guess what? It's going to be blue. Uh, in the same way that when you pick what schools to go to to do your university campus recruiting, the CEO goes, "I went to Texas A&M." Well, guess what? You're going to Texas A&M, aren't you? Why? Because you have no other reason to say no, and it makes you know, hey, it makes the CEO feel nice, and that's great, and that makes them feel good. And how could that be bad? Well, yeah. So when we talk politics, that's what we're really talking about. People who are 
paid more, who have a higher level of authority, who have more responsibility. They're way up the, the totem pole. They're way up the chain of command. They're the leadership, whatever they're called. That is, they have a lot of influence on what we're doing. Why? Well, as we've talked about, employer brand is a big fuzzy idea. And most people who are not employer brand people, and frankly, a good chunk of people who say they're employer brand people, don't get how big and messy and fluffy and scary and weird this stuff is. That it is involving policies inside the company, that it does involve the job postings and the you know, the Glassdoor scores and the career sites and all the other stuff, but it also involves all the other stuff that the company does, the DNA level of the company, right? And if you don't get that, if you're a leader, and frankly, you're a leader leading something else, even if you're leading HR, you don't always get it. You don't always see it. You don't always, you don't think about it as much as someone like me would or you would, right? Where you're thinking about employer brand all the time. So consequently, new ideas may be hard to move up the chain. Why are we spending our time on, look, if you have a very outdated idea of what employer brand is and you, you might hear, hear things like, or if the leadership has an outdated idea of it, you might hear things like, why are you spending so much time um, pushing all these silly videos on social, you should be getting our Glassdoor score up, right? That's a very limited point of view of how this stuff works. But because they're leadership and you kind of have to make them happy, you're inclined to do what they say. And there's, there's a dance. There's a dance, no question, of how do you make your stakeholders happy? How do you make leadership happy with the work you're doing but still driving the work you, as the expert, know to be the best possible way forward. That is absolutely a dance. And there's a lot of ways around it. There's a lot of ways to involve it. And frankly, smarter people than me have written books on how to kind of, man, you know, the phrase is managing up. And I think those are good books, and I think you should definitely read into them. I think for myself, I would look for opportunities in which you can throw them a bone myself because in the end, the goal is not so much to make them happy. The goal is to do such great work, such obviously great work that no amount of politics will get in the way. Now, I know that that's kind of a lofty and somewhat potentially politically naive, naive ideal, but that's where you want to be, right? That's the Steve Martin joke, be so good they can't ignore you anymore. You want your work to be so obviously important and useful and helpful with clear KPIs and clear outcomes that they will they can't they can't say boo. They can't say anything. And that's why the first reason employer brands fail is poorly defined goals and intentions. If you have a great and well-defined goal and intention and you show how your idea solves for that goal and intention, it's really hard for anybody else to kind of stick their nose in it. That doesn't mean they won't try. So being good at employer brand and ways you can, you know, things you have to look out for is that politics stuff. So think about places in the process where you can, because you should, open your doors and ask people to come and engage. Open the doors and ask for feedback, for advice. You, you know, there's a, there's a whole dance around, hey, just ask people for advice and then ignore it. Um, uh, okay, that's a way. <laughs> There's a whole school of thought around that. I feel a little weird asking people for advice I know I'm going to ignore. And frankly, I don't know how ethical that is. But, you know, hey, you do it how you got to do it. I think of, look, I want your input, but I want to then, as you're giving, as I'm asking for someone for an input, I want to make sure I get the chance to insert my message, which is, hey, that is really useful input. However, it reflects a tiny, tiny in fact, a single perspective of the company. And even though you might be way up in the in the, the the top of the ladder and have a bigger perspective than your average salesperson, your average developer, your average nurse, or what have you, it's still a single person's opinion. 
and it's still a single person's perspective. And there's no way, and if this, your company is more than five people, there's no way the CEO really understands what the job is at every single level. So, so therefore, they have a limited perspective. Look, no one's going to hire a new CEO anytime soon. And certainly the CEO will not tell you when it's time to hire this new CEO. That's not going to be there. So getting the CEO's opinion is useful from a political standpoint, but you are not there to reflect the CEO's perspective. You're not there to attract more CEOs. That is not probably your mandate or job. So as you ask for feedback, you have to be in a position to insert this idea that that is a single person's opinion and that's useful and helpful, but the broader perspective may not bear all of it out. That your job is to reflect an entire organization. Sometimes it's multiple offices, multiple countries, multiple teams, multiple, there's so many different perspectives that no matter how smart, great, wonderful, kind, and elevated this leader is, they simply can't see all of it. You could simply say, that's interesting, leader who just gave an opinion of how great this company is, what would you say to people who are working on the customer service department? How, how, how would they say this company is also a great company? And yeah, you can you say it nicely enough and they're going to realize, ah, maybe I don't have a complete and total perspective here and that maybe more opinions and other perspectives are useful in this regard. That's a way of kind of dancing it because your goal is to make sure that you're not just there to be the PR person for leadership. They have a comms team. They do not need more help. They do not need help making press releases talking about how great their leadership is or when they volunteered or when they made their numbers or when they didn't make their numbers and why they didn't make the numbers. They have a PR team in-house. It's called the internal comms team. They do lovely work, I'm sure. Your job is to present the company as a whole, of which leadership is certainly a part and certainly an influence but you have to present the company as a whole because your next hire of a project manager or a project developer or an electrician or an admin or whatever, they are not coming into the company that the CEO sees or that the CHRO sees. They are coming into the company that you should be focused on. You should be telling that story. So make sure that when you're putting together and doing your due diligence and doing all the research that you need to do, whether it's internal data, external data, focus groups, qualitative, quantitative, all that stuff, and by the way, do all of it, as you're putting this together, you're trying to create a single perspective of truth, a single truth. I, you know, a long time ago, I used to call it the golden nugget of truth. There might be a lot of different ways of looking at it, but in the end, it's still one single thing. And there's a lot of perspectives on it. There's a lot of ways to unpack it, but it's still a single thing. Your job is to define as closely and as accurately as you can that single golden nugget of truth. From that, lots of different stories can be told. If you decide that the golden nugget of truth is all about, this is a company that cares about the leadership, I'm sorry, the, the, the development and training of its staff to the point where leaders have... Uh, are invested in training and developing and coaching their own staffs and teams. And this is an internal focus company that you try to hire lower down the ranks because you've got a culture that develops and grows people internally, right? Um, that's, that's a great culture. Now, is every leadership going to talk about that? No, maybe they might talk about their market success. That because of this great culture, they've led to market success. You can let that leader talk about market success or customer service or customer focus. Those are all useful things. If you're talking about sales or fulfillment, customer, customer, customer is only thing on their mind. Let's be fair. That's fine. 
If you def decide that the golden nugget of truth is this leadership's commitment to development and coaching, you can allow that to become the story by simply changing the flavor of it, by simply saying, okay, because we have great leadership, because we're developing people, it enables and engenders this great customer service. See what I did there? It doesn't have to be their golden nugget of truth. You can decide and manage expectations around what is truth, what is reality, but at the same time, you have to allow for them to figure out how to unpack it so they can tell the story they need to, to tell. You are not going to change leadership's mind. You're not going to, if this leadership tell, if this leader tells you that this company is successful, the reason why anybody should work here is because it's successful and you know it's really because of the commitment to development internally, you're not going to convince them. Sorry. You're not going to convince them. Maybe one in a million times you're going to convince them, once in a blue moon maybe, but really planning on that is a fool's errand. Your job is to show them how they can unpack your idea to support their idea. Because that leader is not the only person who thinks that way. I'm not saying everybody else thinks customer service and customer support and market success is the number one, because if everybody does, guess what? Your golden nugget of truth should be that. But if that leader thinks it's all about customer support, this other leader may say it's all about ethics. This other leader may say it's all about, um, I don't know, diversity. There's all sorts of other ways you're going to pack it, but you can say, look, the commitment to development and training internally allows us to have good ethics and support good ethics because we hire people who have good ethics because they want to grow themselves and you can't grow yourself unless you have good ethics. And I'm, I'm stretching a point there somewhat. Or that it's because you're growing people from the lower down the food chain and bringing them up, there's an opportunity to make a great diversity case there. But it starts with this idea of leadership development because ultimately those three leaders are going to go out to the world and tell their story the way they tell it. You need to find ways of creating those paths back to your golden nugget of truth to allow other people to tell those stories in whatever manner they want that is true for them but still tells your version of the truth, your reality. Okay, so that was number three. Number four, more politics, right? <laughs> this is the politics episode apparently. And this is... This is interesting. This is, I think, that, uh, on my list of reasons why employer brands fail. This was the last one I wrote down. This is, this took me a while to come to. And this is this idea of ownership. Now we talked about integration of employer brand a couple episodes ago, and I'm full on that your employer brand should strive to be as integrated into the entire corporate brand as possible, as humanly possible, to the point where it might as well be the corporate brand. That would be a great win. The trick is. Who owns your employer brand? Now, if you define your employer brand as we do so often as being a single person's perspective on what it's like to work there based on touch points and experiences in the aggregate, that is all everybody's perspective, you understand that ownership of employer brand means owning customer service. It means owning your policies. It means owning your marketing. It means owning your uh, product selection. It means Gosh, it means hiring recruiters who are in line with your school of thought. And of course, you do not have that power. If you do your job right and create a great golden nugget of truth, a single version of reality that everybody goes, yep, that sounds like what it's like to be here. I can see how you get there. I can, I can speak to that very well. Your hope is that your idea is like a virus and it spreads to other people. But who owns that idea? Because as you give that idea to other people, it will mutate. We just talked about it. That leader may think it's all about market success. And if you try to get them to talk about 
uh, leader, um, the leadership and development of internal people, it's going to be a hard kind of move to get them to see that and talk about it the way you want them to talk about it. And there's lots of ways to kind of, a lot of tricks. I like the lexicon trick where you build a dictionary of 20, 30 words that you want everybody to use so that even if they talk about it from different perspectives, they're still using the same language, same kinds of words. So there isn't a kind of, you know, audible alignment to that so that you can hear a lot of different perspectives and facets without kind of saying, you know, turning your entire company into a series of parrots. Um, but who owns your employer brand? Is it you? Should it be you? Should it be leadership? Should it be HR? Should it be recruiting? Should it be marketing? There's a lot of complicated issues, and each one of those solutions, or rather choices, has its own set of pros and cons. But not being cognizant of that choice, that that choice is made um, almost autonomously, not autonomously, uh, um, instinctually. Oh, well, that's, it's a recruiting thing, so let's give it to recruiters. Or, oh, they're going to be marketers, so let's give it to marketing. Well, you're not really thinking through the choice, it sets your employer brand up to fail. Because if you give it to marketing, you're gonna get a marketer's point of view. And I have long ranted, so much ranting, about where marketing has issues with employer brand because they don't see things from a quality standpoint, they see things from a quantity standpoint. Happy to go over that again. I'm sure it exists in multiple podcast episodes, certainly in lots of uh, presentations I've done. Marketing has a different perspective on it. That's not to say and a great employer brand person shouldn't use marketing tools and marketing processes and see the world through a marketer's eyes. They should, but they should be cognizant that there is a difference between employer brand marketing and every other kind of every other kind of marketing in the world. Quality versus quantity. If you put that job in comms, your work is going to be a little more internal. Your work is going to be less driven by taglines and hashtags and uh, uh, visible, obvious stuff, but it's going to be more subtle. Maybe you have an opportunity inside the comms team, which usually has a direct line into leadership. Maybe you have a better opportunity to change the internal guts and the DNA of your company than you do on the marketing side or the recruiting side, but you're not get the chance you're not going to get the chance to kind of shout it out very well. You're not going to get a chance to get the big megaphone to put it out in the world. Or if you are, it's going to come with some very interesting handcuffs. I've met a lot of internal comms people. They're all very conservative, and I get why. <laughs> Much like lawyers and HR people, they are there to help keep the company from getting sued, to manage crises. They're mostly concerned with how do I keep this shit from blowing up? They're not there to make this company look amazing. If they get a chance to do that, that's every once in a while, but mostly they're there to tamp down the fires and to reframe pain points or problems. They are very conservative with their language. They're very conservative with their tactics. They're very conservative with their campaign thinking. They are just generally very conservative. So there, the pros and cons might be you have better access to leadership and the people moving the levers and pressing the buttons of what the company does, but you'll be very much constrained about what you can do about it. Okay, so maybe you're over on the recruiting side, as many of us are, or I was, I guess. Um, there, well, that, that's great. So the nice part is you're going to have access to recruiters who, by the way, chances are will look at you skeptically for the first 12, 6 or 12 months until you can prove yourself, and that's a game in and of itself, and I've talked about that before. But you're not going to have access. The marketers are going to look you. You think you're, the, the, the recruiters look at you skeptically. Wait till the marketers get a hold of you. Wait till comms gets a hold of you. Wait till the leadership gets a hold of you. If you don't have um, 
I don't know, some credibility, something you can bring to the table immediately, it's going to take you a very long time to get to the table, to show the work you can do, to show what the powerful, strong employer brand can and will do, to get their buy-in on stuff. It's going to take you a lot of time. You are now a little more removed from the centers of power, which has its own pros and cons. Yes, because you're far removed from leadership, there's a lot less uh, oversight. There's a lot less scrutiny, but there's a lot less resources to play with too. Uh, when I was over at Groupon, you know, my first year I spent $400 managing my employer brand, and that was on purpose. The goal was to say, look, it, I could ask for more money, but that leads to more scrutiny. And right now, I do not have the political juice to go toe-to-toe with someone who's going to want to step on me. And chances are, someone's going to want to step on me. Why? Because humans are like that. It's not that I'm a bad person. It's not that they didn't like me. It was a chance for someone to flex, and I would be the thing that got flexed. And that would not be pleasant for me. So I wanted to kind of, kind of establish some credibility inside the company so that by the time I went to leadership and marketing, they kind of went, okay, this guy seems to know what he's doing a little bit. Um, He's had some good successes internally. He's done it without a lot of resources. Okay, I'm willing to have a conversation. I'm willing to give him perhaps the benefit of the doubt. Where your employer brand is owned speaks volumes as to what your company thinks it's going to do. And that goes back to the very first way employer brands fail. That is to say, if your goal of employer brand is to make the magic fairy pixie dust, congratulations, you're living in comms. You're going to have access to the power, but you won't have the ability to make those changes. And that's where the, the kind of dichotomy, the, the friction happens, the, 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 the things that rub together the wrong way that don't create value. So you've got to think through ownership. But that means for you fly just flew right in front of my face. That's weird. Um, sorry, that was live on the air, sort of. The, the goal for you, or maybe your intention, should be less to become the employer brand cheerleader. Hey, everybody, we got this employer brand. Hey, everybody, let's use a hashtag. Hey, everybody, leave a good review. Hey, everybody, let's put on a show. I got a barn. Let's make some costumes, right? It's not about being the raw, raw cheerleader, but about being a champion. It's about saying, okay, How do I get the next person to understand the value of this employer brand so that they can take it, internalize it to themselves and say something and use it and to to drive the values I want them to drive? And values is a is a a laden word, right? Everybody goes, oh, oh, you mean value, corporate values. Like, no, no, no. They're personal values. How do they how do they approach this concept, this idea of why people want to work here, what it's like to work here, allow them to absorb it such that they can talk about it in their own words so it doesn't sound scripted, it doesn't sound uh, managed and overly polished. It is true to that person's experience and also aligned to the core you know, golden nugget of truth. Ownership drives a lot of that. If you're coming from marketing, people are going to expect louder. People are going to expect bigger. That doesn't necessarily mean good work. It doesn't necessarily mean a good, a strong employer brand. I am a big believer that great employer branding is most often subtle in nature, that you don't even see it, that you don't even notice it, right? Talked about that, I think, just two weeks ago, I think. Um, So marketing is, every single solution comes with its own problems. And if you do not see what those problems are as you walk up to managing an employer brand or developing an employer brand or launching an employer brand, you are walking into a minefield without a map, with a blindfold on and hoping for the best. And that's no way to do it. So you got to understand who owns it dictates a lot of what you're doing. So potentially that might mean 
speaking up and saying, maybe this shouldn't live in Team X. Maybe this should live in, live in Team Y because we're trying to establish A, B, and C, i.e. goals and intentions, which you've well-defined, and you're showing a connection. And frankly, if you've got the cojones or the ovaries to kind of make that happen, to kind of say, hey, I know I'm in recruiting or I know I'm in marketing, but wouldn't it be better if we're trying, if these are our goals and intentions of what we're trying to do, wouldn't it make more sense to move this team over here? To be able to even make that pitch is guts. That's, that's, that's amazing. And frankly, being able to show leadership that that is the level at which you think about these problems sets you up for longer term success. But most of us, myself included, took it as it came because it was just, I didn't have the juice. And you might not have the juice. You might not have the mojo. You might not have the, the, the protection or the, the person who can help move that, the political um, stuff that makes things happen. And I get that. So, But that's a problem. So that's a reason why employer brands fail. All right. That was episode two. We had reflex politics rather than reality. And then we had the ownership issue, which is complicated things. So I guess called it the ownership issue. Uh, those are the first. And the first two were, hold on, let me remember, uh, poorly defined goals and intentions. I literally said that about a minute ago. And being built on the wrong stuff. And I use air quotes, even though you can't see me when I say the word stuff. So what's going to be the last two? What are the last two reasons employer brands fail? I guess you'll just have to t- tune in next week. Uh, that's all I have for now. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you. Uh, we're getting close to the holidays, so have a great holiday. Whatever it is you celebrate, do it. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll see you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.